How's it doing? Good. Doing all right? We, uh, we lost about eight feet of stage this week, so I figured I'd come down here to the floor and, and not be so far away from you guys. How's that sound? Is that all right with everybody? Well, my name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. If this is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. And um, we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Ruth, and it's been really, really cool so far. We started out, it was a story about um, Naomi and uh, Elimelech. Everybody say Elimelech. Elimelech, Elimelech. Yeah, I know, right? I said, uh, saying that last week, and it was in my head all week, and you're welcome for that. We have it again another week. But uh, Elimelech is Naomi's husband. They're living in Bethlehem. There's a huge, huge famine that hits. And instead of staying with God's people and, and trusting in God and, and uh, awaiting out the famine, Elimelech thinks it's a good idea to just pick up and move his family away from the family of God, the presence of God in Bethlehem, out to Moab, which is a land where they're worshiping idols and they're not following God's laws whatsoever. And, and um, there was warnings earlier on in the law that, you know, if, if, if you were to marry a Moabite, that you would be kicked out and away from God's family for like 10 generations. There's a lot of negative things that, that God was trying to protect his people from. But Elimelech moves his family, just up and moves his family. It was a really, really bad idea. And he dies. Elimelech moves to, to Moab and, and dies pretty quickly afterwards. So Naomi, Naomi's widowed and she's there alone. And she has two sons that have taken Moabite wives. That was a big no-no, you know. And they die. Her two sons die. And so there's two Moabite widows and Naomi. And, and Naomi's just distraught, just beside herself, and, and she's like, girls, I, I'm moving back to Bethlehem. Go and, go and find yourselves a husband. And, and this was, you know, to lose a husband back in these times was, was detrimental. I mean, the, the husband was the provider, the protector, the, really the future for the family. Uh, it wasn't like what we have today. Women couldn't really earn a living for themselves. They were dependent. And so we had these three widows that were homeless, they were futureless, they were hopeless. So Naomi, it actually says she was bitter, that the Lord had dealt, dealt harshly with her, she felt, she said. And she, she says, she's moving back to Bethlehem, she says to her daughters-in-law, go, just leave me, find yourselves husbands, find yourselves a future. And, and one of them does, she, she leaves. And, and goes her own way, but one doesn't, and her name is Ruth. And we see an amazing loyalty from this young woman, Ruth. She says a, an amazing phrase, too. She says, she says, your people will be my people. Your God shall be my God. And we, we kind of talked about, wow, what a statement. Like, like Ruth is willing to just up and leave her family and, and her gods and her religion and everything else. And we talked about what kind of impact Naomi must have had on her. What did, what did Ruth see in Naomi and, and Naomi's relationship with the Lord that would cause her to just up and leave her safety, her security, and, and make Naomi's people her people and make Naomi's God her God? So we see this amazing loyalty. We see a declaration of faith from this woman, Ruth. And, and she moves back to Bethlehem, and, 
And um, then we talked about, as they're in Bethlehem, they're obviously, you know, penniless. And um, there was provision in the law for people who were penniless, that those who had fields and harvests, they would leave some. They would leave some for those who had none. And so Ruth, it's kind of like a modern-day food bank. Ruth is at the food bank, and she's gathering sheaths, and she's gathering the leftover grain that was in these fields. And, and there's a guy in this field. She gets to this one field, this guy's field, and he kind of takes notice of her. His name was Boaz. What a great manly name, right? That's what we talked about. It's the manly lumberjack name of Boaz. It actually means strength or pillar in the temple, you know. So, but Boaz kind of takes notice of her. So we had this like hopelessness, but then we get this glimmer, this, just this picture maybe of some hope. Would, would this guy Boaz be willing to, to, to step in? And, and as Naomi said, this could be our kinsman redeemer. I mean, Boaz could be this guy who redeemed them and, and gave them that hope, that future that they were definitely without. So kind of jumps us up here to chapter 3. That's kind of the background. In chapter 3, I'm not going to lie to you, man. This, was, this is an interesting chapter to preach, okay? Because we have, what we have here in chapter 3 is um, Naomi is, I would say at best, giving Ruth some questionable advice. And so I'm, I'm going to preach through chapter 3 here um, as if my teenage daughters were in the room. And they are right there. So um, just a forewarning, um, uh, even if, if we just assume the best about Naomi's advice to Ruth here, um, it's questionable. Um, but we're going to find out that it, it's uh, not all that great. So, you know, as you read through scriptures, there's, there's tons of different kinds of writing, right? And we're reading through what's called a narrative now. This is the story. And, and this scripture, I would say, is more descriptive of what happened, not prescriptive for our lives, okay? And the Bible never holds any punches. It, it tells the truth. It, it tells these stories as they happened. And, and the people that it describes, they made mistakes. They did things they shouldn't have done. They said things they shouldn't have said. And, and um, so as we read this, just remember this is a narrative. It's the story. And, and what Naomi's doing here, it's just the Bible's telling the story. It's descriptive, not prescriptive for our lives. So as we dive into this, there's um, a few things I want to do. First of all, I just want to tell you the story. We're going to read through chapter 3, the story of Ruth in chapter 3. And then I want to pull out three word pictures that I think are really important about what's going on kind of underneath everything. There's a spiritual thing that's going on that I want to pull out of chapter 3. And then the last thing I want to do is say, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? Now, as we started this sermon series in Ruth, there's one thing I talked about. And I said that this book, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to someone and points to something. That Genesis through Revelation isn't a story just about humanity, isn't just a story about God, but it is meant to point us to, every book is meant to point us to the person, the power, the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so as we were reading through Ruth, I wanted us to keep that in mind and remember that. So, so as, we, as we go through that today, keep that in mind as we go through it. Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. That, that it, it opens our minds and our hearts to, to who you are. The things that you've done and, 
and, and what you want to do in and through our lives. So God, as we open today to the book of Ruth chapter 3, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these pages, that the truths of your word would impact our hearts and change us for your glory and for your kingdom and for our good. We surrender to you, Father. We've made our plans, and, and God, we pray that you would direct our steps in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into Ruth chapter 3 here. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? Now notice here, we talked about last week, Naomi's playing matchmaker here. She's pointing out, Boaz, shouldn't I look for some rest for you? There's a man out there. There's a man out there. She goes, this week, she's, she's going turbo, okay? Turbo matchmaker. We're just going to see that, just to let you know. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Okay, don't freak out or anything. We're going to come back and un unpack that, okay? That was the questionable advice right here at the start of chapter 3. And so she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry... He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. If you have a pen or something, you have your Bible, you might want to just underline, spread your wings over your servant, circle that, or if you're in your digital Bible, you can highlight that. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Uh-oh. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before anyone could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is God's word for us today. Now, there's three pictures of the work or process of God's redemption right here in chapter 3. 
I love this. This is, this is we're going to have to kind of put on our creative hats, all right? I love the pictures that, that um, the authors of the Bible create. And it's really what we see is in the sovereignty of God, how he creates these pictures for us and what they mean for us. So everybody got your creative hat on today just a little bit? All right. Anyone? Oh, okay, good, good, good. There's three of us. Okay, here we go. The first picture I'm going to pull out is the threshing floor. The threshing floor. We see it in verses 1 through 5. Naomi, her brother-in-law, said, go down to the threshing floor. Now, in Bible times, the threshing floor was this place. It was kind of a, a hard surface where we, they would bring the grain, in, and they would have oxen or cattle that go around and just crush it, and it would separate the, the wheat from the chaff. And then they would take it from the threshing floor and throw it up in the air, and the wind would take the chaff away, and the wheat would fall, or the barley would fall to the ground, and that's how they would separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, here's what the threshing floor and why the threshing floor is so important. We see the threshing floor used all throughout Scripture as a place where decisions are made, where the threshing floor is symbolic of, of judgment in the Bible. In the Old Testament prophet Hosea prophesied that Israel would be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. That's in Hosea 13.3. Of the nations who will come against God during the end times, the prophet Micah says, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. The idea is that Israel will demolish their enemies like oxen trampling the grain on the threshing floor. It's Micah 4, 11 through 13. Chaff is referred to in the Psalms as a symbol of the destruction of the wicked, Psalms 1, 4. And also John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the one who would separate the good grain from the chaff with a winnowing fork gathering the grain into his barn and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. We see that in Matthew 3, 12. The threshing floor has this spiritual significance. It's a picture that shows us it's where decisions are made. It's where, it's where Jesus is going to separate things, the sheep from the goat, the grain from the chaff. And Ruth goes to the threshing floor. And this questionable advice that Naomi gives her, Boaz is faced with a decision that needs to be made. Is he going to redeem Ruth as she lays at his feet? Is he going to do what's right? Is Ruth putting herself in a, a bad situation? Maybe. But we see that this, the, th the threshing floor is this symbol, a spiritual symbol of, of what God does. Is he going to redeem? Is he a redeemer? And we see in the story that Boaz is a redeemer, that he's, he's a faithful man. I, as I thought about this, you know, theologians really argue this point back and forth, and I've, I don't know how many I've watched of, you know, the de debates that go on here, that whether Naomi is giving her really terrible advice and it was wrong, or it was good advice, and this was something in the culture that they would do. It was a marriage proposal, and this is how it was done. The argument around that. I, you know, as I've read through the story, what we know, what we know is that Naomi and Ruth look at Boaz as a righteous man, as a good guy. 
that he, he protects and cares for his servants, you know, that, that there's other women that were working in his fields and that his young men would look after them and care for them and protect them in this really dangerous time because people would come and steal grain, you know. That's why Boaz would actually sleep by the grain, to protect it. So we see that we know that, that Naomi and Ruth believe Boaz to be a righteous, God-fearing man. And, and he followed the law. You know, the provision in the law to leave grain. And, but we also saw that he was a generous man, right? That, that he, he told his servants, he said, leave, leave Ruth some sheaves, not just the, the leftovers. Leave her some good stuff. We, so we saw he was a generous man. So I, I can't help but think that this, this advice that Naomi is giving to Ruth, they believe that Boaz isn't going to take advantage of her. He's not going to to look to selfish things as Ruth comes to him after he's drank till he was merry and laid down. But they believe that, that Boaz was a good guy and that he had Ruth's best interest in mind for her. You know what? God is at work in Ruth and Naomi's lives. And you know what? He's active and here in your life today too. Now, the second picture I want to pull out here is the wings. I had you underline that or circle that. We see it in verses 6 through 9. So we see at the threshing floor, a decision has to be made, and a decision is made. She goes down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant. Now, this was common use of the language back then. It was, it was actually kind of poetic language. We see it mostly in the Psalms, you know, through a song. And you could actually say this was kind of a romantic language for Ruth at this time. And all the ladies said, oh, spread your wings. You know, this is, this is really artistic language. In Psalms 91.4, it says this, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Deuteronomy 32.11 says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. And in Psalms 36.7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! Your children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalms 57.1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in your, you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. In Psalm 61.4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. 63.7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And then in Jeremiah 49.22, it says this, Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors of Edom shall be in the day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. So we see this amazing and beautiful picture where Ruth is saying, protect me. Will you be my refuge? 
I, I have nothing. I, I, I am weak. I am penniless. I need you. Will you be my redeemer? Will you be my hope? Will you give me a future? Will you spread your wings over me? My wife and I, we enjoy running and, and biking on the paths around town. And um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, there's, there's a lot of geese having babies everywhere, right? And so, so we've been running these paths, and, and some of the geese have kind of taken over the running paths. And um, I love geese from a distance, okay? But I was running uh, on this path, and they've, they've taken over the path, and, um, and I'm jogging by, and I look over, and by the water, there's this mother geese with her, her wings kind of spread out, and I thought she was injured. It just looked kind of weird because her, her wings were out and bent, and, and I was like, oh, man, it was raining, and I was like, wow, too bad for this goose. I don't know what happened to it. But all of a sudden, I see this, this baby goose or whatever they're called. I don't even know what they're called, but its head comes out from under the wings, right? And I, she moves her wings, and there's like eight babies that just come running out from under her wings. She was protecting them. And as I am jogging closer, the, the male goose starts coming towards me. Anybody here ever been attacked by a goose? <laughs> it's terrifying. I, I mean, it's, it's like running at me. It's, it's making this hissing noise, and it's got its mouth wide open, and there's, it's, there's no teeth or anything. I, I don't even know what it would have done with me, but I think my mile time dropped like three minutes as I took off and was running from this goose, you know? But that's, that's the picture that we see here. This protection and this, this caring for. Think about what Ruth had been through, right? She lost her husband. She's widowed. She's, she is away from her family. She walked away from home. She's following. She's left with a bitter mother-in-law. I mean, that's what she has. And she goes to Boaz, spread your wings over your servant. What a beautiful picture this paints. So, so the first fill in your notes was, was the threshing floor. The second fill in your notes is this, the, the wings, what this, is, what this is picturing for us. Now think about this. A decision or, or a judgment had to be made. And then the spreading of the wings, the protection, the provider, the refuge, the future, the hope that Boaz provides. What a beautiful picture this paints. Isn't it? Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? Husbands, we can learn a lot from this descriptive language about what the Bible alludes to about the role of a husband, protector. Provider. We went through all those scriptures. These are the things in those scriptures. Protector, provider, defender, shelter, holding our wives in such esteem that they are the apple of our eye, that we would only have eyes for them. Single guys, you can, you can glean a lot from this description of, of what women are looking for. What Ruth shows us. Ruth is, is showing us what women want. Boaz loved God and had a job. That's it. That's it, man. Single fellas out there, love God and get a job. It's what women want, man. You're looking, you're looking for that, that, that wife. You're looking for that girl. Love God, get a job. 
move out of mom and dad's basement. It's great. It's good stuff. But ladies, there's a, there's a lot that, single ladies out there, there's a lot that you can glean from this. Damn, man, look at Boaz. After he had drank and was married, or, or Mary, he lays down and, and Ruth comes and lays at his feet. His first response to her is to care for her. It's not his own desires or what he wants. He protects her. He protects her reputation. He's not a boyfriend looking for husband privileges. He's a good man who loves the Lord. And we know he loves the Lord because he prefers Ruth. In fact, he, he protects her reputation in such a way that he says, when they wake up in the morning, go, go early so that no one would see that you were here, that we avoid the appearance of evil like God's word tells us to. He wants, he wants to care for her and protect her reputation. And then, then what does he do? He says, I'm going, I'm going to do it. I care about you. Kind of leads us into that last filling in your notes is the promise. Boaz makes a promise. It says this, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. See, Boaz wasn't just a man of words. Boaz was a man of action. It's not just hollow, hollow things and hollow promises. He didn't just say, yes, I'm going to be your redeemer now. See ya. He says, yes, I'm going to be your redeemer. In fact, you're not leaving here empty handed. Here is like two months worth of food. Take this home so that you know that Naomi knows that you have a guarantee. I will be your redeemer. This is the promise that Boaz makes. Boaz continues to reveal his integrity and purity. He truly is a righteous man pursuing, pursuing Ruth in the right ways. There's a really cool thing as, as Boaz ushers her off in the early morning so that no one would see. He's protecting their, uh, her integrity. I, I can't help but think about where our world, how, much, how far we have gone from this. How, how far have we gone from protecting one another, caring for one another in this kind of way? I think about our world today. Most couples live together before they're married. It's, it's, not, even, it's not even a secret anymore. They just, they just, hey man, let's just move in together. We've got to try this thing out, see if it works. You know, cohabitation before marriage is a real problem. And let me just say, this is, not, this is not just coming from a preacher guy who believes the Bible. I do. I am a preacher guy who believes God's word. And God's word said we shouldn't live together before we're married. It's not a good idea. It's not God's best for you. Let me just be really clear about that. It's not. But listen to this. This, this is what psychology today had to say about cohabitation before marriage. Now, I am not endorsing psychology today. It is, it's terrible. You don't want to read it. But this is what they say about cohabitation. Concerns about premarital cohabitations may be legit. 
substantial evidence associates cohabitation with, now get this, negative relationship outcomes. Premarital cohabitation is viewed as a risk factor for divorce as it predicts later marital instability, poorer marriage quality, less relationship satisfaction compared to married couples. Cohabitating couples argue more, have more trouble resolving conflicts, and are more insecure about their partner's feelings, and have more problems related to their future goals. That is, that, that's psychology today saying that. This isn't just some, some Bible thing. You know what? You know what? God knows better than we do. God, God, see, God created us. You know what? God created joy. God created happiness. He's, he's not up there just waiting for you to make some mistake and throwing down all these laws and different things that you can and can't do. That's not what he's doing. He has a plan for you. He has promises for you. He has your best in mind, kind of like Boaz. He loves you. And there's so many things. He's, he's got all these things that he's, oh, man, I've got this plan for you. I have a future for you. The Bible says that before he created the world, he knew your name and he had set aside good works for you to do. This is the God that we serve. He loves you. And he, has, he doesn't have just some short-term happiness set aside for you. He has lasting joy and fulfillment in relationship with him. So when he talks about, you know, don't live together before you're married, it's, it's not because he's trying to take something away from you. It's because he's trying to give you something amazing. Something promising, something fulfilling. Man, when, when people who don't even believe in God start to agree with God, hello, right? God loves you. And here's, here's the deal. What we're seeing here in the book of Ruth is a picture of the glorious grace and mercy of a God who loves you. Boaz, like I said before I started this sermon, all of scripture points us to the person of Jesus Christ. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. The threshing floor where judgments are made, decisions are made, where God comes to us in our brokenness and sin we're dead in our trespasses and he just reaches down and breathes life into dead, dry bones. He separates the wheat from the chaff because he loves you. And then he spreads his wings over you. He's gonna be your protector. He is your provider. He is your joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And here is the promise. What a promise. Spread out your garment. Jesus made a promise. And when he left, he goes, I'm leaving because I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit that lives in you. And he promises to come back one day. 
And now we have, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we turn from our sins and we accept him as our Lord and Savior and we surrender our will to his will. His very spirit, the power of God and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and me. And then we start reading this book and it actually starts to make sense because his spirit makes the truth come alive to us. We have an amazing, beautiful picture of the work of the grace and glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ in the story of Ruth. Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. He has made a way for you. And as we read through this story, we're not done yet. We still got a little bit of ways to go. As we read through this and we, we see these pictures that God is painting for us, I hope you, you realize the love and the grace and the mercy of God in the person of Jesus. <laughs> Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't, she wasn't a part of God's. She was not an Israelite. But God, she was a Gentile, but God loved her. And when she, when she decided that Naomi's people would be her people, that Naomi's God would be her God. God accepted her and brought her in. You know, all of us, all of us were far from God. All of us were in Moab at some point, right? But God in his great mercy and love beckoned us to come. Maybe you have a friend in your life that's like a Naomi. They're in relationship with God, and you're like, man, why is their life so different than mine? What do you see in them? What you see is Jesus, just like Ruth saw God in Naomi. What an amazing picture we have here. So if that's you today, if, you, if you're not in relationship with God, I would challenge you to, to give your life over to him. Give your life over to him. He is a protector, a kinsman redeemer. He has our best in mind. He has your best in mind. And he knows best. He knows better than we do. It just takes us so much time to catch up with him sometimes. God loves you. Surrender your will to his today. Let's bow our heads. Father, I want to thank you for the picture of your grace and for the picture of your mercy that we see here in the story of Ruth. Father, right now I just pray for everyone in this room that, that is far from you, that as they've, they've heard this story of, of a redeemer, as they've heard this story of, of someone who, who has someone else's best in mind, God, that you would reveal yourself to them right now. That you would reveal yourself as a kinsman redeemer, as a protector, as a provider, as a hope to the hopeless. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do right now. Reveal yourself to everyone in this room. Come and be God in our midst. That we would surrender to you that we would trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song this morning.